Welcome to Fantasy Books and How to Read Them. The fantasy book review podcast by this couple who's read more than a couple of fantastic books. We're your hosts, Sam. And Anna. And let's see what we're reading this week. We're live. Welcome back, <laughs> fantastic listeners. This is Sam. And Anna. And happy anniversary to Fantastic Books and How to Read Them. Woo, it turned one last week. Yes. So thank you all for being there with us for the journey. It has been so much fun, and we hope you guys are having a great time listening with us. It seems like we're getting a good amount of traction. Like People are really into the Kingkiller Chronicles, um, obviously as much as we are, so that's been really fun to share our love for the books with everyone this first year, and it's sappy, but I can't wait to see where the podcast takes us. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it has been a lot of fun, and as a one-year anniversary special treat, we are we're going to be releasing two episodes this week. We are continuing with our journey in Wise Man's Fear, as well as a bit of fan service. We're going to be releasing an episode all on fan theories from uh, Name of the Wind and Wise Man's Fear. Yeah, I'm really excited to record that one. It should be coming out, like Sam said, sometime later this week. Uh, but for our regularly scheduled episode, today we are covering chapters 11 through 17 of the Wise Man's Fear. One other highlight down the line that we're going to be working on is... Uh, me and my twin brother Elliot, we're going to be starting a mini series based on the Aragon books. So keep your eyes on the horizon for that. That's going to be unveiling in a few weeks. But for now, we are going to be continuing on with Wise Man's Fear, Chapter 11. Chapter 11, Haven. So we left Kavoth after he had gotten his debt with Devi all squared away and his tuition all set. And he is just about to start his semester and... If we recall, he had promised Ari that he would play for her within, what, six days' time? Yes. And so he goes out onto the rooftops. Um, he's bringing his loot into the apple tree orchard uh, courtyard and starts to play. And Ari appears pretty quickly. Uh, she's very delighted to see both because, as she said, you are just in time. I could not be as patient as three stones. Um, so she has been eagerly awaiting for Kavoth to come and play for her. And for fans, what we've realized is that this six-day span is what takes place during the Slower Guard of Silent Things. So um, when Ari emerges, that is the end of the Slower Guard. Yes. And so they always have their cute little exchange where Ari asks Kavoth, uh, you know, what have you brought me? And he in turn asks, oh, what have you brought for me? And so Ari gets kind of sentimental with this whole exchange and is very cute. She crafted him a candle. I have an interesting thing to say about this candle. Oh, yeah. Go for it. So Tarberlin the Great carries a candle, a coin... And a key. And a key. And Ori gives Kavoth all three of those things over the course of their interactions. I never realized that. Wait, really? Uh-huh. That's cool. So... You're right. Either... And I didn't realize this until I was reading some fan theories in preparation for our bonus episode... But I had always kind of seen parallels between Kavoth and Tarberlin because he obviously compares himself to Tarberlin very often. But this is another one of those like parallel objects or parallel things that happens in their two stories. But someone was saying in a fan theory, like potentially because the Fey realm and the human realm travel at like different times. Like remember Kavoth was in Felurian's Glade for like a really, really long time later in this book. But when he emerges, it's only been like a day. Yeah. What if somehow... He is Tarberlin the Great, just like running on two different time 
spans. Ooh, that's cool. I like the concept. I'm not fully convinced by it, but I find that intriguing. I think that's cool. Yeah, I don't really understand how that could be the case. And I think it's more so that there's supposed to be parallels between the stories. Oh, yeah. But I liked the idea of it. Mm. Um, but yeah, so this is the candle that Ori makes during Slow Regard of Sound Things, and she gives it to Kavoth. And she says it smells like, or it's supposed to give him good dreams, right? Yes, because that whole interaction previous when he got plumbobbed and he was just the saddest boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having a real tough time there. <laughs> <laughs> so she gives him the candle and she also gives him a kiss on her his forehead and says that her last gift is that um, when things get bad, she offers for Kvothe to come and stay with her. Yeah. So those are her Another three gifts. Thing. Yep. And Kavoth's gifts are beer made by Brayden. So he brought the the bottles, bee beer. The bee beer. And he also brings a smoked salmon and a barley loaf bread. A uh, loaf of barley bread. So he's concerned for Ori's like nutritional intake. So that's why he gets the salmon because he's concerned that she doesn't have enough protein. That's his motivation. But she's definitely thinking much more long term than Kavoth is. Yeah. Kavos kind of surprised by the kiss, but he just kind of moves the conversation forward, asking her if she'd like some shoes because winter's coming. And they're suddenly interrupted when Master Elodin appears out from behind a chimney. Yeah, and it's like classic Elodin where just nothing weird about a moonlight stroll on top of the roofs. Like, like oh, hello there. Fancy seeing you here. Obviously... Kavoth is like reeling inside like what is he doing up here oh or he's yeah. going to run like she does not like strangers she does not like questions it took him so long to lure her out that he is like defense is up he is not pleased yeah but Ari greets Master Elodin um, she knows and, who he is obviously yeah Kavoth doesn't put one and two together yet and she gives him a little curtsy so once again referencing Ari having kind of regal mannerisms which has plays into the fan theory that she is Princess Ariel. Eladin asks what they're doing out there, and Kvoth is nervous, obviously, because Ari doesn't like questions, but she says that Kvoth is up there to play music, and he's brought her, like, some food. Um, so Eladin doesn't scare her away, thankfully, and Eladin brings Ari a sinus fruit, mm. and Ari gets really mad because Eladin didn't bring anything for Kvoth. And Kvoth takes, like, a little selfish satisfactory moment to see like Kavoth like or see Elodin on his heels because she's like what have you brought Kavoth and he's like stammering and uncomfortable yeah because Elodin always makes everybody else uncomfortable so Kavoth is like good <laughs> it's your turn <laughs> I know, it's finally it's your turn to be like feel like the awkward one yeah but Kavoth is like it's okay I I didn't bring anything for Elodin and then Ari goes no Kavoth brought music which is for everyone so she's very defensive of Kavoth mm-hmm and Ari leaves to go get some... I think it was like cups for the beer. Yeah, so she goes to get dishes for all three of them so they can all eat. So while she's away, Kavoth is immediately like... Panic mode. Oh, he is like so, so nervous for her. He's like, don't ask questions. Don't laugh too loud. Don't make too many noises. No sudden movements. Don't do this. Don't do that. And Elodin doesn't really respond too much as Kavoth is kind of having this panic at first and he's like you need to calm down or Ori's gonna or he doesn't call her Ori he's like or she'll be concerned to see you like in this in this way yeah and there's a really intense part about this that I I love because I think at one point in our lives we've all felt 
a moment of like anxiety to the point where it's like everything's out of your control and like you almost feel like an intense desperation and there's this whole part where Kavoth is like internally freaking out and it says how like there's a knot in his chest and he feels like he's back in Tarbian and there's like a knot of hunger and he's desperate and hopeless and like everything's out of his control because he knows he can't control Elodin. Well, not only, like, is Elodin above him in rank because he's a master, but also, like, Elodin is unpredictable. Yes. So it's kind of a double whammy. And there's, like, a whole part where he was like, you know, I really appreciate it and take it as a personal favor if you didn't mention Ari to anyone because they'll stick her in Haven. And then, like, he's trying to be tactful and he messes up and he's like, you of all people would. And And Elodin, like, cuts off and he's like, you expect to know my feelings? Towards Haven. Towards Haven. Ugh, and it's just like that moment of dread because like he's clearly losing command of like the conversation and you know all his articulation and persuasion are just falling out the window yeah he's got nothing thankfully Ari comes back and it's funny because Elodin is like put your stage face on which obviously speaks to Kvothe's uh, Edimaru background and like stage training so he composes himself just enough for Ori to come back She does kind of sense that something is up because she looks at them a little bit like side-eyed as she approaches but doesn't say anything about it. Yeah. So I think she could tell that they were having like a heated discussion but it gets glossed over and they're having the beer and Ori's laying a little like dinner for them all and she doesn't give Elodin like second helpings on anything. I know. It's such a slight. Yeah. And like Kavotha's like, I'm not sure if it was just like she didn't notice or if it was on purpose and i'm pretty sure it's on purpose because she does not like elodin and it's pretty clear mm. that it's pretty uncomfortable so they eat silently and at the very end of the dinner ori cuts up the sinus fruit that master elodin brought and Kavoth had mentioned that like sinus fruit is very expensive imported fruit and he had cannot afford it so he's pretty excited to have some so when ori gives it to him he says thank you kindly ori and elodin says Ori like a question and it takes a minute before Kavoth realizes like he's asking the name Ori like what is this and Ori's adorable she's like oh it's my name Kavoth gave it to me it's like having a flower in my heart yeah it's very cute but I also like the fact that it was in the naming concept like Kavoth has given me this name now it is my name yeah she says if your name is getting too heavy you should have Kavoth give you a new one and I love the idea of like Kavoth unintentionally naming things like he didn't just give her a new like label he gave her a new name and like the essence of naming yeah and as we've discussed many times like Kavoth names things unintentionally when he's not trying to and that tends to work out for him and as we see Elodin is pretty interested in the name Ori so after dinner Kavoth plays for them and he and Elodin leave together, and it's kind of funny because he's like, oh, I know a bunch of ways to get off the roofs, but I'll let Elodin take the lead. Like, I want to see how he gets up here. Yeah. So they kind of scramble over the rooftops, and as they are, they're chatting, and Elodin says he's been coming to see Ari for years. So, like, how old is she? How long has she been down there? In my, like, thought process was this, was, like, maybe she cracked, like, two or three years ago. Okay. And then... But, so, Kavoth is one of the youngest people at the university, like, right. ever. And he's 15. So, is Ari, like, 18 to 20? Like, I can't... That's kind of the age gap I kind of imagined her to be. 
I think she's described as so young and petite and like whimsical yeah. and uh, naive in a childlike way, but I think she is like older, like 18, 19. Oh, so sad. I know. It's very sad. Um, but it sounds like no one's looking for her anymore, which is unfortunate. Mm. Like she's been there for years, as Elodin says, and he's the only one who between him and Kavo seem to even know Ori exists. So yeah. I know there's all of the speculation about her being Princess Ariel, but like if an actual princess went missing, you'd think that like and like you said, within two to three years, people would kind of know about that. Right. So I'm wondering if A, if Princess or Ariel is Ori, that like maybe she was at the university under a disguise so people didn't know she was a princess or somehow like she becomes a princess later i don't know i'm a little confused yeah a lot of speculation we'll probably get into that on our fan theory episode in greater detail yeah i don't want to like go too too into it now um there is a very interesting and i don't know why it just stuck with me as one of like my favorite little pieces of writing with this with this exchange where kavod threatens eldon to not say anything about ari and not to have her be placed in haven it's funny because the only reason he can give is that, like, Ari's my friend. Yeah. And Elodin's like, yeah, I can see that. But, like, she's living underground. Like, that's not a great place for certain people. Like, Quoth, is this really the best move? Even though Haven is not a great place, like, would do you think it would be better? And Kavoth really puts his foot down and is like, yeah. absolutely not. Do not tell anyone about her. Do not put her in Haven. I think part of it, too, is he does describe, he's like, I can't imagine um, seeing Ari, like, strapped down against her will on a bed so she won't hurt herself or someone else and just, like, being trapped and, like, that breaks his heart. And so... Because she's not a dangerous person. No. To herself or to anyone else. She's just alone. Yeah. So it's hard. It's like, and that's a very much a moral dilemma with different societies across the world where you either get like homeless people or um, people with impaired mental faculties. And it's like, what is the proper thing to do for support? Do you let people live their own lives? Do you, you know, have a structured situation to give them assistance? And so yeah in this world there's still that dilemma it is yeah it's true and like what kind of compassion is helpful and what's kind of like pitying and like what do people need and how to get it to them in effective ways is right and so kavoth says i need you to promise me or else and eladin says or else what and so kavoth says or else i'll do something stupid beyond all mortal ken and we'll both end up worse for it i love it it's not a threat that is like it's not like or else i'll hurt you or else i'll like report you it's very vague but it's so as elodin says what a remarkably honest threat and i love that i I think that's just like the perfect threat because you know that's exactly what kavoth would do he'd have some kind of like freak out and lose control of himself and yeah who knows what would actually happen but yeah that's exactly what he would do yeah and so elodin ends up agreeing and promising and he he does dramatize it a little bit but um he says i swear on my mother's milk elden said i swear on my name and my power and i swear on the ever-changing moon and Uh, there's always these comparisons that involve ari and the moon well also the moon is so important for the fey realm and the lore of the creation war so it just comes up over and over and over again which i think is really cool but it brings it back full circle to like the name ori and the 
connections it has to the moon because Elodin asks like why Ari why did you mm. why did you pick that name and there's also an aside at one point I believe it's in the name of the wind where he uh Kavoth even says he kind of always thought of his Ari as his little moon fae like he, he has... does say that yeah but yeah at the end of their conversation Kavoth says oh I, I named her Ari because Ari means sunny which is not like the moon, so it's like kind of the opposite. Mm. And then Elodin presses him and says, in what language? And Kavoth says, Siaru. And Sunny is actually Leveret in Siaru, so it's like completely different. Yeah. And Kavoth cannot remember where he learned the word Ori, but that's just what he had picked. And it's definitely a sleeping mind moment. That's exactly what it is, because before he can answer again, Elodin's like, well, you know, I'm teaching this class on naming. You might be interested. And it's so funny because Kavoth is trying to play cool and he's like, I might be interested. Uh, All cooly. But yeah, he's been like wanting to get into this class and he finally got his chance. Yeah, but immediately Elodin is like, you need to read this book, Tecum's Underlying Principles. And Kavos says, well, if you lend me a copy, that'd be great, but I can't read it because I don't have access to the archives. That's and Elodin right. is like, what? Still? Still? How? How is this going on? I love the audacity of this whole scene that plays out right now. Oh, this is so funny. And Kav- uh, Elodin's like, that's ridiculous. That's bullshit. You're my Raylar now. Like, finally stepping up to the plate and, like, serving some justice with yeah. his power. And I'm, like, finally sponsoring Kavoth. Like, yeah, it's not like, just, like, entitled, like, you're a Raylar to no one. Like I know, like, d- doing something for Kavoth that's actually useful, which, like, as we see the the whole class that he puts Kavoth in, Kavoth does not think is useful. He's wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wrong, so wrong. <laughs> Very wrong. So Elodin marches them across the roofs to a window, knocks on the window, because they're at, on top of the master's hall, and Lauren opens the window, which, like, it's the middle of the night at this point, so I think this is hilarious. Yeah, I literally just imagine, like, Lauren in, like, a nightcap, like, you know what I mean? Like a sock. I think he's wearing, like, his master's robe still. Like, oh, he was okay. just awake. I feel like he's one of those people, like, his characterization is that, like, he never sleeps. Yeah. He reminds me kind of, like, of Snape. Like, no matter what time you go down to the dungeons, like, Snape will be in his black robes, like, yeah. brewing something. Like, Lauren <laughs> will be always, like, reading a book or something. Always working. Always, always. So, Elodin is like, let this kid back in. <laughs> like, right to the point. And Lauren's like, well, I was going to keep him out for a year and a day. How storybook. Exactly, yeah. And as... Kavoth said it had been about three quarters of a year at this point. So he would have had three months to go still before he would be able to go back in, which is basically like next semester. Yeah. So that's kind of a long wait. And so Elodin pushes and Lauren says, fine, tomes only. And then <laughs> Elodin says, tomes is for feckless tits who can't chew their own food. My boy's a Raylar. He is the feck of 20 men. He needs to explore stacks and discover all manner of useless things. So he's really amping up Kavoth's abilities and kind of sticking his neck out for him because he does know Kavoth is powerful, but I think it's kind of interesting because he's kind of pushed back against Kavoth for so long. And then all of a sudden he's like, he's worth 20 men. He needs to get in there. Yeah, well, I think part of it's he's proven himself. He knows he is clever, but he's also trying to persuade to Loren, like, hey, like, he knows what he's doing. Just give him a shot. But then he makes Kavoth totally accountable because he's like, oh, if he messes up, you can Cut take his thumbs. his thumbs. Which, like, that's the one thing Kavoth is most afraid of as a musician. 
And secondarily, as an artificer, like, his hands, he's always so concerned about his hands. So as soon as Loden makes this deal of, like, you can cut his thumbs off, Kvothe is like, what the fuck? That, like, anatomically <laughs> speaking, like, without your thumb, like, you're no better than an animal again. Both thumbs. Yeah. Both. Like, it's horrible to lose a finger, but your thumb is, like, literally, like, the cornerstone of your dexterity of your hands. So, I mean, like, that's, like, what puts human anatomy different from so many animal anatomies yeah. is, like, having the opposable thumb. So losing that is... Devastating. At, just horrible. Of course, Kvothe is freaking out, but Alodin's like, what? You're in. If As long as you don't break the rules, you're fine. And Kvothe is still not super convinced by this, which, like, I wouldn't really be either if my yeah. thumbs were on the line. Well, not only that, but he's like, being a rule breaker is my thing. How can I not, not break the rules? Well, also, like, he already got kicked out once unintentionally. Like, he wasn't trying to break any rules or anything. Yeah. So I think he's just worried that he might accidentally break some kind of rule and give Loren an excuse to chop off his fingers. I know. He's already been whipped twice. So what's uh, chopping off his thumbs, you know what I mean, from the master's perspectives? Chopping off body parts is definitely a little bit more barbaric, barbaric. <laughs> <laughs> than, <Nice>. um, <laughs> than whipping someone. But, like, yeah, it's definitely in line and the two masters just agreed to it face to face and lauren does not seem like a jokester although the end of this section is elodin saying like probably i still step carefully because i can never tell if lauren is joking or not yeah and that's the whole end of the interaction with uh elodin so the following day kavoth wakes up and he's like all excited to sign up for this naming class realizes when he gets there he doesn't know what the name of the class is so he mm. just starts flicking through uh in the meantime he signed up for observation in the medica physiognomy and physic ferris and culprit metallurgy with camar in the fishery and adept sympathy with alxadol so he's definitely cut back on the amount of classes he's taking and focusing on, on like artificery sympathy and medica which is like yeah. a powerhouse and then the chapter ends with Kavoth finding the class and signing up for Introduction to Not Being a Stupid Jackass. <laughs> Appropriately titled. Yeah, especially for, I mean, I'm not sure what else. I can't imagine, like, Fela finding that amusing, but it's definitely appropriate for Kavoth. <laughs> yeah. Chapter 12, The Sleeping Mind. So in this class, we are introduced to, or in this chapter, we are introduced to Elodin's class for the first time. Yes. Kavoth is pretty eager to get started, but before he even goes to his first naming class, he zips off to the fishery early in the morning to get a little bit of artificery work done so he can make some cash. And as soon as he gets there, Kilvin calls him into his office. Yeah, and it's not even like a, hey, how's it going? It's like, come here. No. Oh, yeah. Like, Kilvin, like, booms across the fishery and everything goes silent for a minute. And Kvothe is like, <laughs> shoot, like, what did, what did I do now? Right. And as he goes into Kilvin's office, he notes that, like, as soon as the door closes, it's super silent in there. And it's just a little aside of how there's some, clearly some kind of sigildry going on to make this room, like, soundproof. But I just thought it was really cool that... Kilvin had done that to his office because obviously he's like a master artificer and can do whatever the heck he needs to do but I yeah. loved the ability to to do that no it's definitely a cool like flex move and it's like somebody who's accomplished as Kilvin of course he would incorporate Sigildry to his office and different tools and things he uses just to make his life easier yeah it's Very really cool. great um but Kilvin is upset with Kvoth because a girl came looking for someone of Kvothe's description, like red-haired, young, 
and said that he had sold her a charm. And Kavoth does not remember who this is, but if we remember way back from the end of The Name of the Wind, this is the girl from Trayvon who told Kavoth about the Matherwin Farm pottery that had yeah. the pictures of the Shandrian on it. And she was so nervous that Kavoth gave her like a little trinket to wear and was like, it will protect you always. Don't worry about it, even if you lose it. Was there her name Nellie? Yeah. Good remembering. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So that was the girl who came looking for Kavoth. There's no indication in this chapter as to what she wants. And off the top of my head, I can't remember what she's looking for Kavoth for. But Kilvin is upset because obviously you should not be selling charms as an artificer because uh, that they just don't work. And that's like against the rules. And so he's really pressing Kavoth to be like, do you know who this is? Why would you be selling charms? And Kavoth is like, look, I wouldn't, I don't sell charms. Like it's not profitable enough. Yeah. He literally laughs. He goes, if I was selling charms, would I really be wearing like secondhand homespun like clothing? Like I'm so poor. Like, and you can tell just by looking at me, like if I was selling charms and extra money, Master Kilvin, you'd be able to tell, like I'd have some extra cash. He also says it like falls under a rule called, um, fraudulent purveyance he goes i wouldn't risk that and right. so kilvin forever being like the person with morals and ethics is like oh it's so funny yeah he's you like you wouldn't do it because it's wrong and he's like oh yeah well yeah uh that too yeah that that too but we also know like uh Kvothe pushes back and he's like master kilvin if you were really sure of my like morality i wouldn't be in here yeah like if you knew i didn't do some shady shit sometime you wouldn't have to question me about this exactly so nothing really comes of the conversation because Kavoth cannot remember this girl at all. And Kilvin doesn't have money details except for there was someone looking for a red-haired person who had sold her a charm. So the interaction kind of ends on a humorous note. Yeah, he goes, uh, Kavoth is saying, I expect someone's trying to like cause trouble for me and just try and get me you know, in trouble with you. But... Which is like on par for everything Ambrose does to Kavoth. So. Exactly. And he goes, I trust I will not be, uh, Kilvin says this, he goes, I trust I won't be uh, troubled by a horde of pregnant women waving iron pendants and cursing your name. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. I love it. I love that part. Especially because this is the first time we've seen Kilvin in this book, right? Um, no, I think we had interactions with Kilvin earlier. Oh, I don't know. Where one book ends, the next begins sometimes is a blurry line for me. Yeah. But anyway... He's one of my favorites, so I'm oh, he's awesome. always happy to have some Master Kilvin. But after the interaction with the Artificery, Kavoth makes his way to his... Naming class. Brand new naming class. And here is the roster. There's seven students. Ooh, Number I seven coming up, up again. So, of course, is Fenton, which is like his like dueling buddy in Elksadol's class. I'm not surprised. Fenton was like pretty accomplished. Yeah. Um, there's Fela. There's another girl named Brienne. Yep. And another girl named Anissa. Yep. There's Anissa or Anissa. There's Jarrett. You know, a couple of, I don't want to throw them away and say no names, but. Like people we haven't met before. Yeah. So just definitely some variety of people coming into this class with different backgrounds. And, you know, it's not all just the same type of student where it's like, oh, you were good at um, sympathy. So now you're naming. Like some of these people are definitely have a diverse education here what i thought was kind of cool is it's a class of seven and th what three of the seven are women yeah in a university that's seems to be like 95 percent guys yep 
So I'm not sure if if it just happens to be luck of the draw or if women maybe are more adept at naming or potentially like, I don't know. I just thought it was cool that there's... Yeah. No, it definitely is interesting that there is a high percentage of like women that are in this naming class. Yeah, because if it was like a ratio of like what the university body looked like, it would be zero or one girls mm. and the rest guys. I don't want to touch on it now because it's going on later, but I just love Fela's progression with this class and her abilities. I'm going to touch on it in the later chapters when that part's revealed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it plays so well into what she's studying, her personality type, and what she her affinity towards her naming object is. I mean, I think even in this set of chapters, Elodin mentions who has already spoken a name. Yeah. And it's Kavoth has called Wind. Anissa knows the name of Iron, I think. Yep. And I don't know if Fela had called it yet, but um, Elodin said something deep inside Fela knows the name of Stone. Yeah. And I did brush upon a fan theory I was looking up that said maybe Fela has something to do with the Doors of Stone because she's the stone... She knows the name of Stone. Oh, that's cool. Plus, she obviously has like a fascination with those doors as well as Kavoth. The four-plate door? Yes. Yeah. Well, we don't know what the doors of Stone are. Right. But like, she might come up in the next book mm. as being related to it, which is pretty cool because, yeah, I just love that each student has a different like element. Yeah. It's, it's very cool. cool. <laughs> I know. Naming's really cool. It's so cool. And so classic Eladin just being a uh, jerk, just like rolls up to class super late, immediately like dives into the lecture without preamble, just kind of is like, naming is, and like, just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dude, you were like 45 minutes late. I don't want to hear it. Like, He's just the professor that's like too quirky and thinks they're like so, so smart. And Eladin is so smart, but it's also frustrating because he's like being disrespectful of everybody else's time. And right. it just bothers me. He does bring up some really interesting points, though, where when he's talking about naming, it's about fully understanding certain concepts on objects or things to, like, such a degree beyond, like, things that you would normally think about. Well, I think it's, like, understanding the purest essence of something. Yeah. Like, it'd be, like, understanding something's soul versus its, like, physical manifestation and he even just uses a rock as the example for the class for the first day and he's like you all know what a rock is but like describe to me the millions of years that of pressure that like formed the rock and the like wind and sand and water that like smoothed its surface its weight how it absorbs the sun like the trace levels of iron in it like all these things that you would never consider when looking at a singular stone yeah and like a stone really isn't that complex appearing mm. but when he describes all the aspects of its like existence it becomes a lot more complicated and as they're going through the class what he starts to do is describe how like he wants them to calculate if he throws the stone like where it will land right they start doing all these like uh calculations and, and mathematics formulas. and formulas and uresh and fela are both like really good at numbers so quotes kind of jealous of their abilities to like do math and well it definitely breaks down to like everyone being intelligent but definitely like right versus left brain kind of deal i think everyone has 
Yes, but also everyone has their own different backgrounds. Like, Fela, when they were signing up for admissions, mentioned that she was taking, like, advanced mathematics classes, and Kavoth was like, ugh, that's, like, way too many numbers for me. And she did a lot of pottery and, like, stonework in the fishery, so this... Yeah, it all plays into her. Like, she's very... It makes total sense that she's the one who knows the name of stone. But after, like, 20 minutes, even working as a group, they're, like, discussing and thinking and doing all these calculations of, like, where is the stone going to land... And they don't come to a conclusion. So, well, the only conclusion is that There's they no don't conclusion. know. Yeah. So, which is, like, the correct answer. To continue his example, Elodin yells into the hall, like, Henry, come here, which is, like, one of Jameson's, like, runner boys. And... Runner boys. <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't know. <laughs> we can delete that. Sorry. I'm leaving it in. <laughs> so, um... He tells Henry to catch the stone, so Elodin throws it, and the kid catches it, and then Elodin's like, all right, great. How come he was able to figure out where it was going to land in, like, microseconds, whereas it took you guys 20 minutes, you couldn't figure it out? Is he smarter than all of you? Should we make him a Ray Lar? Should we admit him to the university? And everyone's like, ha, 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 no. Please, no. <laughs> like, because he's just making them feel dumb. Yeah. This isn't a class that you can like study for and understand this is where Elodin gets to the point of like the sleeping mind which is the essence of naming and he's saying we all have our waking mind which is the one that does like the perceiving and the understanding and like interacts with the world at large but deep 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 within us we all have this sleeping subconscious mind that sometimes can like come out and control things and it has like deep knowledge and that's when he mentions that Anissa knows the name of iron but her waking mind does not know it Fela knows stone and Kivoth knows wind but their waking mind doesn't understand these things and the example is that the sleeping mind is able to calculate and catch the stone very quickly so it sort of has a little bit to do with like instinct and reflexes but not really that much yeah um, but this is kind of the best way to describe it. He mentions that they're going to work on tapping into their sleeping mind and they should each pick kind of a basic element or object to understand. So he, the lists he offers are iron, fire, wind, water, wood, or stone. Um, I immediately was like, ooh, water, that'd be great because I love swimming. Yeah. Um, did you have one that you would pick? I did. Weirdly, when we had this conversation and I... In my heart, I wish it would be, like, fire, but for some reason, iron just gravitated to me, and I thought that was, like, such a neat concept. That is a really cool one. And it it seems like iron is a lot more common in this world. Like, yeah. not a lot of stuff we have is made of iron. Mostly. No, we're more steel and, like, titanium-based things nowadays. Oh, I just meant more, like, most of the modern world is made of, like, plastic. Oh, that too. Whereas, like, they have, like, swords and, like, they're in the artificery, they're always using, like, iron. Their money's made of iron, so... It- makes more sense to me yeah but the class ends with Elodin writing a bunch of book titles up on the blackboard and randomly like circling some and starring some and putting a smiley face next to some and he's like read these or he says read one of these and they all say which one and he goes i don't care like just yeah and some of them he hadn't even had read he hasn't read some of them he doesn't even know if some of them exist in the archives at all but he's like just find them and read them at the very... Yeah, there's like 20. There's, there's like a ton. 20 books. Um, and Temerant Voice Draws, the one he says, I don't know if it exists, which as we noticed later, nobody even finds that one. So mm. I don't know. 
That could be like a foreshadow thing for later. I don't know what Voistra means. I don't, I'm assuming it's like the voice of Temerant, which is their world. Mm. But I'm wondering if it has something to do with not being in the archives because of the Shandrian or the Amir. Ooh, yeah. Let's keep that in the side pocket. Yeah, like I don't, I don't have any other information about it, but that would be my only explanation for it not being there. And he's like, you have to earn the books. They're all hidden throughout the stacks. Like you need to definitely like do a deep dive and find them. And he just, classic Odin style, leaves without any further explanation, and that is the end of the class and the end of the chapter. Chapter 13, The Hunt. So. So. (laughs) (laughs) is finally let back into the archives. Yes. So he is getting Willem to get him into the archives. I think he's putting on a bit of a show. Yeah, show me around. What is all this? Well, there's like a double show going on. Like, one, he wants to pretend he'd never been there but two he keeps acting really really nervous before they go and i don't know if this is actually like he's nervous about like messing up and getting his thumbs cut off or if he's like hamming it up for willem Mm, i think part of it is even though he had been sneaking around for a little while he is nervous to be like seen because it was always on his own terms and now that he's out and about it's nerve-wracking for him because after his first like public display in the archives he was banned so mm. i think he's just nervous of making a faux pas and like getting like kicked out again yeah because he's like i know something's gonna happen like ambrose will be there or like my name won't be in the book and he keeps like rubbing his sweaty palms on his hands and willem's like you need to calm down like we're going to the library yeah <laughs> <laughs> you need to calm down <laughs> we're going to the library it's I really love that. not that big of a deal um but as they get there above the archives is the word Vorfalen Renata Mori, which is chiseled into the stone, which um, Willem translates as to the desire for knowledge shapes a man, which uh, is someone mentioned online is sort of a parallel phrase to the mayor's like catchphrase, every man has a question. Ooh. So just kind of like those existential like searches for knowledge are what shape humans, which I think is kind of... I like that a lot. That's really cool. Yeah, I just liked the parallel. Um, I tried looking up Vorfail and Renata Mori to see what it was like based on or if it actually translated correctly to what Willem said it did. From what I can tell, it's like vaguely a made-up Germanic and Latin-based like word mm. for the book. And it does pretty much approximately mean what Willem says it does. So we're not getting fooled anywhere there. But as they get into the front foyer, Fail is the one at the desk, thankfully, not Ambrose. And Kvoth is like, all right, I'm back in the book. Can you check for me? And Fela does. And she's like, oh, yep, you're in there. <laughs> and Kvoth's like, that seems a little weird. Like, what's, why are you being like this? And so she flips the book around and it says, Kvoth, Arladin's son, red-haired, fair-complected, young, which, like, I guess is their form of, like, identification for people who come to the archives is, like, writing a little description. And then in a totally different handwriting next to it are the words Rue Bastard. So clearly Ambrose, like, wrote in the book yeah. against Kavoth's name, which normally would be something that would upset Kavoth, but he, I think, is just so excited to get in that he just smiles and goes, correct on all accounts. Yeah. Can I go in now? And um, she gives Will some lanterns, and Kavoth has his own, like, thieves lamp he brings with him, because I think he's just so scared and so scarred by the candle situation. That yeah, he's, he's like, like, I got my own. I got my own stuff. And he writes his name in the book, like, really shaky hand. So that's where I wasn't sure if he was acting or actually really nervous. No, I think he's genuinely just like, Gah. 
True. So they get in. This is where he's definitely pretending to like be amazed by the stacks and like how big everything is and like, wow, look at all the books because Mm -hmm. obviously he's been in there. But he did say it's actually pretty easy because he's always had to like sneak around and have his lamp on the dimmest setting. So to be able to like walk in without worrying about people seeing you is like its own new way of seeing the archive. So he's pretty excited. Willem shows both his and sims like little private study room that they always use because not many people know about it and they knock on the door and sims in there which is really cozy it is and he's like kvoth what are you doing like you're banned get out will how are you letting him in here unbanned bitches just like so excited <laughs> i know he's like lauren lifted the ban like i've got some books i need help finding and Your sims like back. can i help like i want to help you find books like i'm bored i don't want to study anymore and kvoth is a little bit he's like we should just split up like i'm not sure if he's trying to shake them off or what no i think he was just trying to be um Is productive he... and like efficient oh it was also potentially like maybe he was still acting of like oh we'll just split up like, the archives can't be that hard to figure out well i think since he had been a few times he was like oh i'm sure i'll figure it out and then like they mm. literally laughed like oh child no oh no 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 so yeah, we get a, a rehash of the explanation of like the poor organization of the archives, which I was like explaining to Sam is like kind of like my job sometimes because everything's been organized. I work in a museum and I'm the like collections manager, so I'm in charge of all the objects and things have been like organized under five different numbering systems and like renumbered. Half of them were renumbered at one point. And some things are in the computer and some things are in hard copy like catalogs. And I was like, oh my God, this is very similar to my job my life is the archives storage wars (laughs) (laughs) like it was really frustrating but i was like oh it's a perfect way to explain to you like how my job's been organized it's just like the archives like there was one method and then they changed and then there were two methods and then i don't know anymore so now i just call anna master archivist at all times i am theoretically in charge of the archives at my job too so super i'm just master loren you know (laughs) (laughs) don't cut my thumbs off (laughs) I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) they are explaining the organizational system. They mentioned that there are clay tablets, which are some of the only things to survive when Calyptania burned, and some of them were transcribed, but not all. And I think that would probably be the best place to find information about the Chandrian, would be those like ancient tablets, but I don't know if Kavoth has the ability to read them, because throughout his search throughout the archives he's always looking in the books and i'm like those clay tablets i think are definitely like yeah bro (laughs) if not um the chandrian at the very least like lanrae like the story of lanrae because i'm assuming that was one of the seven cities that burned Mm. so you're on to something yeah i think that could be useful but anyway they are going through the archives and looking for all the books yeah, it's just one big, uh, I don't want to say wild goose chase, but it's definitely a little bit of like a, you know, a hunt to try and find these books. Yes. So as we mentioned, there are 20 books. Only four are in the ledgers that are like the main cataloging system. So at the end of four hours of looking, all three of them were only able to find seven of the 20 books. So like when Elodin said you had to earn them, you had to earn them. Yeah, they're really <laughs> clocking in some time. They haven't even read them yet. This is just tracking them down. Ooh, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Kavoth is like, well, you know what? I am determined to read every book he's given us. Like, I'll show you Elodin. Like, you think I'm not worthy of your class? I'll read every single book, which 
Bro, 20 books and, like, see you next week. Like, there's no time. Not Especially to mention other like, studies. each book takes, like, probably 45 minutes to an hour to find, and those were the easy books to find. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Not gonna be good. So the ones that he finds are a travelogue, uh, a bad poetry book, which Kavos says he read with one eyeball open because he didn't want to ruin his whole brain. <laughs> I love his disdain for poetry. I just think it's really funny. Oh, he's so, so hateful of it. Then he reads a book about wildflowers in Northern Ator, a fencing manual, another book of poetry, a journal of a madman, and then he starts to skim. So he had two books written in Modigan, so he clearly can't read those, a series of essays concerning crop rotation, and a monograph on vintage mosaics. So when he gets to that, he's like, I'm not taking notes anymore. This is dumb. Yeah. Like, I don't think I've understood the assignment. And that's the thing. He's thinking of this in a practical sense of, like, we're doing a course. Coursework. There'll be a test. Like, clearly, Eladin just wants random facts and arbitrary data and this and that in a way to kind of wake the sleeping mind to other concepts and change your frame of reference. Because I think that's a really important part of naming is breaking away from the conventional way of thought. Well, especially in a university where it's like learn for the test and learn for like the practical skills. Like you learn to do something and then you can do it. You have to shatter the structure of like your mind. Exactly. So like this is just like exploring, exploring, exploring and learning (laughs) for for exploring's sake. (laughs) I love that. That is now a new word. Exploring. Exploring. Um, So like way back when he was telling Loren to let Kavoth in, he's like, he needs to just go in there and like mess around and learn all sorts of unhelpful things but like that's part of this process of learning naming is like just like opening your mind to like thinking about the wider world and things that don't seem helpful at the moment but like might be helpful later yes and as we see in the class that involves evolves into the game interesting fact which I love. I think that's great. I really love it. I actually there's an entire podcast that I listen to that's basically the equivalent of interesting fact. It's called No Such Thing as a Fish. And it's, like, three or four people who come each week with just, like, an interesting fact. And then they talk about it. So it's very, it's also very soothing. Everyone has a British accent. um, And sometimes I use it to fall asleep. So if if you're looking for a totally different podcast, I recommend that one. Jumping back, Kavoth is not successful at finding all of the books. Because, as I said, nobody finds in Temerin Voistra. He estimates that it took him about 50 hours of searching and reading to find the 19 books, but he read 19 of them. He's so pleased. He shows up to class. The door is locked. So everyone's just kind of mingling in the hallway. And I love that like pre-class like hangout where like no one's in class mode yet. So you're just kind of chatting about like the readings and the class in general. And like for me, I get really um, anxious in classes. Like I don't like to raise my hand very often. So it's a lot easier for me to like chat with people about the course material in those kind of situations than it is to like raise my hand in the class and like say something about the topic in a very structured classroom environment. So I just love that they're all kind of sitting out there being like, man, it was so hard to find those books. Yeah. But did you read this one? Yeah. What did you think of this? Blah, blah, blah. Like camaraderie. It's, it's very camaraderie. So they are all hanging out there waiting for Loden to arrive. By the time the noon bell rings, he is still not there. They wait another 15 minutes, and Kavoth finally, like, jiggles the classroom door handle and says it was just jammed. I'm almost wondering if it was... He picked the lock? If he picked the lock. 
they all go into the classroom and as they sit in their seats, they notice that on the blackboard is just Elodin's handwriting that says discuss. And he does not even show up to class. Oh, he's pissed. Kavoth is so mad. He's like, I wasted all this time looking for these books and I took the notes. I was ready to he talk about them. money on paper and ink to write everything down. He was so mad. So, yep, that's the end of that chapter. Is everyone's just like, why? <laughs> why, Elodin? Why? And I feel like that's like the perfect introduction of like how this whole class goes. It's just hard work, little reward, tons of frustration. Tons of frustration. And like you can't see the big picture until you've named something. And yeah. it, it's very like a Mr. Miyagi style of like teaching of like, clean my cars, paint this fence, and then all of a sudden it all click into place and you go, oh shit, like I've I'm learned. A <laughs> I'm a black belt now. <laughs> I can watch a car so good and kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a method to the madness, even though a lot of our characters are not aware of it at the moment. Yeah. And like we said, it's really just about breaking your method of thinking outside of the traditional like classroom setting of, of reading to like regurgitate versus just like experiencing the world and like taking in facts and learning. Chapter 14, The Hidden City. After we've wasted so much time with Elodin's books, we're back at the archives because... Kavoth um, wants to find the Shadrian. Yeah, he finally has unrestricted access and he is making up for lost times. Yeah. He even mentions that, like, every time between classes he goes in there, like, even if he has a few minutes here and there, he'll, like, run into the archives to, like, look. And I love the way this whole chapter is very short, but he's describing how the archives is laid out and structured. And he describes it as its own city with its own different, like, neighborhoods and streets and really likens the organizational system to where, like, the places that are organized neatly are like the the good neighborhoods yeah like the nice part of town yeah and then the places that have been kind of neglected and forgotten and are poorly organized are the bad neighborhoods and he says it's in these bad neighborhoods is where i really started to look for the shandrian because i think he's really starting to understand that information about the shandrian i don't know if he's realizing that it has been purged or is like removed from the archives but he's understanding at the very least that like there's no easy access to it. So he figures things that people have gone through recently, you're not going to find the Shandri in there. Right. So he needs to go back and find books that have been really neglected. And so, you know, he's really not finding much. There might be like one or two little like hints or sides to like story books. Yeah, it's mostly like children's tales or like a sentence here and there, but it's the same stuff he already knows. Yeah. Like, there's signs of them. They're scary. They're the bad guys. And then they disappear. They make milk go sour. Children have bad dreams. Like, no. Mm-mm. These guys are wreckers. Like, yeah, he knows what they can do. As they're describing the town that is the archives, one of the interesting facts is they, uh, he referenced the four-plate door being the heart of the city. I love that. And it's true. It's like, of all the secret knowledge, the greatest secret is in the center and the heart of it is the four-plate door. So it's just, it's a really great um, description and comparison. I think it'll be, I just, I really can't wait to find out what's behind the door. Mm. Like, I, I don't think I'll be disappointed with whatever it is. It's just the curiosity is killing me. 
and obviously it's killing Kavoth too, but I think it'll be really interesting to see if it is something that is like the heart of something else. Right. Like, is it a living thing or is it like the heart of a secret? Is it the heart of Kavoth's knowledge? Like, I don't know. But I think if you're comparing the door to the heart of the city, then whatever's behind it is going to be like the lifeblood of something. Right. One thing that was kind of a neat little detail, and it's more and more about how different stories get mixed up with one another. Mm-hmm. But there is some truth within all this like jumbled fiction was that some of these children's stories had little bits and pieces of detail that were obviously like nonsense, like thunder or one of the signs of the stranger was a rainbow. And it's like, why make a child terrified of a rainbow? I know, that's so sad. However, there is one little line here that mentions the darkening of the moon. <gasps> I didn't even pick up on that. And I literally even circled that line about the rainbow and put a frowny face next to it. I know you did. Because I thought it, I was trying to think of it if it, that was related to some other mythology within the book. But mm. I like if the if a rainbow has to do with the Fey realm or something else where it could have been like crossed wires. Close. Same track of mine but just the moon yeah i totally glossed over the moon line (laughs) no it's okay i think it's good to explore all the options when we look at these little details and comb through it i I did i combed through these chapters this is the first time that i've written in a book i'm not someone who writes in a book and i like wrote all over our book blasphemous no it's fine i feel bad no it's fine that's a sign of a well-loved book well there's just it's a lot easier for me to like take notes on the page i know because it's hard with the sticky notes because then you're blocking everything you're looking at yeah also i don't know if the readers know but we share one book most of the time so uh we usually pass it back and forth as we're recording and sometimes if like sam hands it to me and i need to know where my note is it's just easier if i like underline that line yeah but anyway yeah the moon could be something it's, well it is something it's but definitely it, something um well the darkening of the moon is totally when it's not in the mortal realm it's in the fey realm do we remember if the Shandrian struck Kavoth's family on a new moon? Like when the moon's not in? Hmm. That's definitely worth looking into. Because I'm wondering if... It was during the day, though. <sighs> Damn it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if it had something to do with like it being a full moon versus like if the moon's in the Fey Realm, then maybe they can leave the Fey Realm or something. I don't know. Mm. I'll look into it more. I also have for... Um, a little teaser for our bonus episode that's coming out this week. I'm going to talk about Haliax and Eax and their connection. Yes, that was fascinating when you brought up last night. Yeah, and I brought it up in a previous episode, but I did a little bit more of a deep dive into it for um, our bonus anniversary episode, so definitely check that out. Yes. Um, but one thing I wanted to mention was, and this is, I did not discover this. I found this through a fan on Reddit. Um there is another book that Kavoth finds called The Book of Secrets. And he's like, oh, great. It's, it's got all the, like, magical creatures in it. And they have pictures of them and, like, full descriptions. And every page has a little, like... Description, uh, description of, like, description a with... mythological nightmare creature, basically. Right. But, like, at the top of the page is, like, a box where usually there's a picture of it drawn in. The Shandrian have an empty box. But... And I, this like blew my mind. Someone said, okay, so the box is described as an empty page framed in decorative scroll work. And the poem isn't very helpful. It says, the Shandrian move from place to place, but they never leave a trace. They hold their secrets very tight, but they never scratch and they never bite. They never fight and they never fuss. In fact, they are quite nice to us. 
They come and go in the blink of an eye, like a bright bolt of lightning out of the sky. So this poem is obviously bullshit because we know that they're hurtful, but so the decorative scroll work around the edge of the page comes up again when Kavoth is looking at a different book. Uh, was this the dude who was the autopsy guy and he was secretly in a mirror? I don't remember. Um, I'm just talking about this book. So there's a book by the Duke of Gibeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Which has decorative scroll work drawn all around the edges of every single page and hidden in the scroll work is hidden words. So for that particular guy, he was secretly, they, Kavoth believes he's an emir. Right. So I'm wondering if this book could be a parallel situation and the poem beneath the the box that has the decorative scroll work, which if we're taking this as that interpretation, that decorative scroll work would be the hidden information. The poem underneath it is so dumb that a normal person would just be like, that's stupid and pass right over it. Whereas the the box would actually be where all the hidden information is. And Kavoth doesn't know it yet, but he may have just missed something really important. That, I love that. That's really cool. Yeah, and it doesn't come up again for 200 pages. So whoever picked up on that, good on you, because that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, but Kavoth is really burning out with like how annoyed he is with the lack of information about the Chandrian. So he finally gets some time to go over to Imre and he's like, oh, I'll call on, I'll call on Denna. And he made his own little calling card to give to the guy at the gray man, that yeah. like butler guy. And he's all proud of it because he thinks Denna will find it so funny. And when he gets there, Denna's no longer staying at the gray man. So no. he has no clue where she is anymore. Chapter 15, Interesting Fact. Interesting Fact, as I have we've said already, is the game that Elodin starts playing with everyone in class, which is just bring a fun and interesting fact, and he if he likes it, you pass, and if you he doesn't like it, you have to keep coming up with an interesting fact until uh, you get one. Which is actually really smart, because they're not realizing that if they have one or two prepared, and he says no, it's an activity for them to kind of search their sleeping mind in a way. Yeah, and, like, search through all the knowledge that you've stored up over the years instead of just, like, especially because I always say, like, a lot of schoolwork is, like, remembering a fact and repeating it and not really, like, thinking about it. And it's usually what the teacher has told you to remember anyway. So there's not a lot of, like, independent thought in it. And, and that's a very subjective thing, too. Interesting fact. Yeah, like, it doesn't it doesn't really matter what the fact is. Like, the first one is spiders can breathe underwater. And Elodin is like, great, <laughs> moving on. And... Fenton picks more like mathematical no he picks like kind of history and geography facts okay. he's like there's a river that runs south to north and Elodin's like that's dumb and then he's like he looks at the piece of paper which I think is already like a no-no because uh, I think you're just supposed to like have it at the ready in your mind mm. so he looks down at his sheet of paper and he's like emperor so-and-so once passed a law and Elodin goes boring but I think it's the fact it, that sounds boring first off but second off, I think it's also because he looked down at the paper and, like, wasn't using his mind. Yeah. Then Fenton has to make one up on the spot, which is, if you drink more than two quarts of seawater, you'll throw up, which isn't a very interesting point, like, fact, in my opinion. But Elodin accepts it, and I think it's because he had to think about it on the spot. 
And then Uresh is the one who has the number fact, and it's that's like, the one. if you have a number that's infinitely big, you divide it by infinity, the result is infinity, and then, like, the infinitely small parts all together make, and it's like, it's just one of those really boring math facts. Yeah. <laughs> so Loden says, um, Uresh, your next assignment is to have sex. If you do not know how to do this, see me after class. <laughs> So he clearly. Oh, you need to get laid. <laughs> like, like you need to get out and experience the world a little bit more. If you're really interested in like infinite numbers, and you've memorized this really long fact about like dividing things infinity times, that's pretty boring. You so, need to broaden your horizons a wee bit more. It's it's a fact. I don't know if I'd call it an interesting fact for mm. sure. This is where we start to hear about Yilish knots. So Anissa's fact is that the Yilish people never developed a written language, and Elodin says that's not true. They have a system of woven knots. And we know later in the books that Denna starts to learn Yilish knots, and she, like, does them in her hair. I don't know if we've heard about Yilish knots before now. We might have gotten a little bit wise, uh, name in the wind, but I'm not too sure. I don't... I don't remember, but we may have. Um, but I think that's how Kavoth makes that connection between the decorative scroll work way down the line in that other book. Yeah. So it's interesting that, like, last chapter, there's the decorative scroll work. This one is where we are introduced to Yelish knots, like, explicitly. And then, like, 200 pages later, the connection's made between, like, the drawings uh, in that other book. Yeah. Which that scroll work could have been Yilish knots, theoretically. Exactly. Like the one that Kvothe just missed. Yeah. And he would never have known. But I think that's probably a really... Cl- I don't know how Yil and maybe the Amir are connected, but I'm wondering if that's like a really clever way to hide information that the Shandrian might not be able to find and destroy as easily. Yeah, I agree. So then they keep going through the facts, and Fela comes across this one that has to do with blind people. So she was saying that the Medica was able to cure cataracts and people who had been born blind were now able to have their sight restored and Elodin cuts her off and he's like, that's not a new fact. Like that's, and she, Fela is actually really badass and she's like, I'm not done. Yeah. Let me finish my story, which I love. But then she explains that people who had never seen before were presented with a ball, a pyramid and like a cube and were asked which one was round, and by looking, they weren't able to tell what it was, but by feeling, they could. And Elodin loves this fact. Yeah. I love it, too. I don't know if there's a parallel in our world, but I think that's a great story. I think the concept, too, really comes down to naming, in a way, of just, like, inherently understanding something. I think a lot of it has to do with, too, like, people, seeing people rely so much on sight to perceive the world, obviously, and for people who don't have sight, working around that is like such a big thing that I think Elodin is really intrigued by the idea of like using other senses to perceive the world. Yeah. Because he even mentions like smell the books at one point. Um, mm. So I think he wants people to like expand which senses they use to to understand the world around them. Uh, so he says Fela wins and people are like, but Kavoth hasn't even gone yet. <laughs> And he's like, Kavoth is crap. An interesting fact. <laughs> yep. So Kavoth doesn't get to go at all. And the prize that Fela earns is a like milkweed pod. So it's just like a seed pod with all these little fluffies inside of it. Master Loden asks her to like open it up and scatter the seeds. <laughs> and at first they don't go anywhere. So he's like, darn it. And so he gets up himself and he's like throwing all these like little fluffy seeds everywhere. Mm. Um, and they're like wisping around the room. And then he just starts to run around and try to catch them, like, without explanation. 
Yeah, there's there's no explanation, and he's, like, waving his arms around, and he's, like, trying to grab him in the air, and he ends up, like, tripping and inhaling one and, like, coughing and sputtering and choking and know, swearing. Like, hitting and... his knee and, like... <laughs> and he did this for, like, ten minutes. I love that everyone just sits there and lets him do it, like, as if they think he's the idiot, and this is definitely the perception of Aloden, is that, like, these things that he does to teach and explain the world, everyone's, like he's a moron like what a weird thing to do and he's just got such unconventional ways of teaching and like because he's a namer which is something that's very hard for most people to understand he just like doesn't a lot of people don't understand his like ways so for me what I was thinking is like this entire passage where he's like throwing all the seeds around he didn't explain what he was doing but my perception was that he was explaining how like the harder and harder you try to grasp at a name when you're learning naming like the harder it will be for it you to catch it whereas if you just kind of wait over time the name will come to you because like the seeds will fall eventually yeah but as he's trying to run around and catch them they're all like slipping out of his grasp they are despite his completely insane behavior it says that this was not a particularly odd day in Alodin's class yeah so <laughs> after that wild and crazy time um Kavoth goes back to Ankers, has some lunch and does a shift in the medica and then he decides since it's a pretty nice day to go out on a walk looking for Denna Mm-mm-mm. and you know, he checks uh, a couple of the inns she, that she sometimes frequented, like the barrel and bale, the dog and the wall, and she wasn't at either. So then he finds himself walking around. I think he checks the Aeolian twice. Like, he's really, like, not sure where to look anymore. Yeah, and then so he heard Denna's laugh, and he turns around, like, all eager, <laughs> and he sees her with a young gentleman who's wearing... All he can see is, like, a white feather, because the yep. guy's blocked by a carriage door, and the last person we saw wearing a white feather was Ambrose. And it's literally Ambrose closing a carriage door and having Denna join with him for a ride, and he's dressed to the nines. He wants to say he looks garish and, like, gaudy, but he doesn't. Dude looks, like, dressed well. Kavoth is literally just, like, awestruck and just so mad because denna is on a date with ambrose he uh watches ambrose kiss denna's hand as they walk towards a cafe together i don't think he ever expected this to even like i think in his mind ambrose and denna just existed in two totally different like universes and realms so for his girl that like he's obsessed with to be with his mortal enemy yeah like and there's a great piece of fan art that i'm gonna post to go along with this because i think it's just like the funniest <laughs> interpretation of this scene but kavotha is like so angry but at the same time like he has no claim over denna and she doesn't know who ambrose is so like why would he be able to like stop this situation exactly but in his mind he's like you dare like just, <laughs> ah! yep so that brings us to chapter 16 unspoken fear uh, so after seeing Ambrose and Denna, Kavoth is obviously like maximum pout. <laughs> <laughs> yep, super grouchy, really annoyed. He's like, "Fine, I'll spend my time in the archives." Like, 
it's no comparison for female companionship, but books are a lot easier for me to come by, and like I've got work to do, so goodbye, Dana. Like goodbye, social circles. I'm diving in. <laughs> yeah, so he dive, does a deep, deep dive into the archives. I mean, even as he did, he says all he gains is a lung full of dust, a persistent headache from hours of reading by sympathy light, and a knot between his shoulder blades from hunching. So he has been like going ham in the archives looking for information. And he does find one book called A Quaint Compendium of Folk Belief, which is probably the best example of the Shandrian, like information about the Shandrian. And he's like, there, this book is so detailed. Like, there's four chapters about demons, pages and pages on shamble men, a lengthy section on all of these things, eight different ways to cure warts, 12 ways to talk to the dead, 22 love charms, and then, like, a third of a page on the Shandrian. So even this highly, highly researched book has almost nothing on the Shandrian. And the stylization of this little section is it's supposed to clearly be like ye old English in here. (laughs) Um, But the way that Shandrian is written is C-H-A-E-N-D-R-I-A-N. And that just reminded me of the spelling of Shayan much, much later in the... Oh... um, where the, they go to the storm wall to see the Adem. Yeah, to the Adem. Because there's a character named Shayin there. Um, so I just thought it was interesting that that sound, like Shayin and Shandrian, kept coming mm. up. But uh, basically, the author of this section has come to the same reason that, or come to the same conclusion that Kavoth has, which is like, people do not talk about the Shandrian. I can't find any information about them. Even, like, the people who will tell you about demons and stuff who are like, don't talk about demons, but blah, 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 like, don't want to say anything about the Shandrian. And it concludes with, altogether, I found them a frustrating and profitless area of inquiry. Uh, The only thing in there is that it says they appear and commit diverse violence for no clear reason. So even this guy couldn't figure out, like, what their motive is. Yeah. So I was really annoyed. I kind of was wondering if the author of that book also got killed the same way Kavoth's family did because it seemed like he tried really hard to... Someone's been looking up the wrong stories. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, the guy who wrote this, I'm assuming it's a man, maybe a woman, listed a few of the different signs, like blue flame, uh, wine going sour is now milk going sour, so things are changing. Over time. Over time, which is either, like, telephone style changing, or, like, maybe the Shandrian are able to change their signs periodically. I would assume it's more, like, you know, hearsay. So, yeah, wine going sour, blindness, crops withering, unreasonable storms, miscarriage, and the sun going dark in the sky. Which, I don't know if the sun going the dark in the sky has anything to do with, like, the, the moon. moon and a, a eclipse. Like a solar eclipse, but it's my best guess. And that is literally the that whole chapter. So Kavoth More pondering, more has, speculation. Yeah, really no good information about the Shandrian, despite his full access to the archives now. Mm. But this brings us to the final chapter in this episode. Chapter 17, Interlude, Parts. And so Kavoth kind of pauses by raising his hand up to let Chronicler know we're taking a hot minute because he can see old Cobb coming down the road. Oh boy, our favorite. Corn Cobb. I hate him. <laughs> I hate old Cobb. He doesn't do anything bad in this chapter. No, he just sucks. And I just don't care for him. That's fair. That's a valid point. Yes. But, you know, this chapter is a nice little homage. So everyone kind of... 
Kvothe- gets into their like appearances. You want to? No, take it away. I was saying like, um, chronically, like put your papers away. Um, bossed, you know, you're going to be the uh, shiftless layabout that no one ever give a dream about asking you in the fields. And then um, boss is like stoked. He's like, I can do that. Am I bored too? Like totally getting into character, even though it's just boss being bossed. Yeah, I know. So Kvost giving like stage directions to everyone, which once again, his Adimaru like stage training. Yep. And so. Um, so yeah, so Kvost goes in the back as Cobb comes in and um, boss is like telling like some body story to Chronicler off in the corner because they're the only two like people hanging out. In there. And I just love uh, Kvost going. Enter old Cobb, stage left. Yes. Like, it's just so silly. <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's so theatrical. And then classic old Cobb, like, hello, just like entering in. Yep, but he's there. Um, he like, someone sent for him to show up at the inn. And then within the next few minutes, like, Graham and Aaron, the Smith's Prentice, and a couple of the... Jake and Carter. Yeah, I can never remember their names. They're, yeah. like, throwaway characters. <laughs> like, sorry. I couldn't even remember which one had died. They're all there, and the reason they had gathered is because Aaron and Graham? I think so. They're basically going to be... They're going to be missing the funeral for Shep later. So they're like, we're going to have our own little toast. And I love their little version of, like, this this home done funeral kind of thing of like they each take a drink and after each drink they say each person like takes a turn saying one nice thing about the person who had passed away yeah like jake says he introduced me to my missus they all drink you know when we were kids um we were out hunting and i like hurt my leg and he rigged up a sled and dragged us both back so it's like all like the they highlights all drink. yeah and like heroic deeds of his life and like special moments they've all had with him yeah, just, like, remembering the good things. Yeah, and um, Kavot was, like, even saying, or uh, Old Cobb actually says this, he was braver than all of us, and unfortunately, being brave didn't do him any good. Yeah, which is kind of interesting, because at the very end of the chapter, Kavot is like, you know what, Cobb was right, like, this is not the time to be brave, like, it gets you killed, it's dumb, and I think he's feeling very guilty by the end of the chapter. But before then, he offers to, like, have a drink with all of them. He's like, you know, I didn't know... Shep as well as you did, but it would be my honor to, like, share a tumble of whiskey with you all. Yeah. So he pours them out, like, some of the good cask whiskey, like, not even the bottle, and um, they all take a shot of whiskey. And he says, um, to old friends who deserve better than what they got. I'm wondering, so the, the spot that paused in the chapter is, like, I'm wondering if Kvothe's old friends were on his mind, like, his university friends and then like this might be a reference to like either will or sim or Uh, any like i we don't know what happens to them but for him to be like to old friends who deserve better than they got like thinking about i don't think he's really thinking too much about shep because he's on old friend but like his old friends who he's been talking about this whole time with chronicler and like feeling the guilt of this war upon him who's like it's killed shep who was like just an innocent person and it definitely to me seemed like kavoth was talking about something else yeah, and so definitely could be a little bit of an allusion to what's to come. Yeah. 
And so, you know, once everyone finishes their drinks, they all kind of got to go back out either for the harvest or their errands or, you know, things that they got to do for the day. There was like one really sweet moment, though. So they called it a tumble of whiskey and it's because the glasses are round on the bottom. So it's like a shot glass, essentially. But when you're done, you flip it upside down. Yeah. And Aaron doesn't know this yet. This is clearly like his initiation into this little crew because he's he's younger and they bring him in and he puts his glass upright, but it rolls over and they're like, no, no, like. You do it this way. Yeah, that's why they call it a tumble. Yeah, I thought it was just like a cute, like, you're one of us now. Yes. You're grown. Oh, yeah. There is a good line that reconfirms my feelings toward old Cobb. Oh, take it away. Where Boss goes, I like Shep. Cobb might be a bit of an old, crusty old cuss, but (laughs) he knows what he's talking about most of the time. I don't think he does. No, he definitely doesn't. Cobb's an idiot, but I do agree with he's a crusty old cuss. Yeah. Absolutely. I do not care for Cobb. Um, yeah. But you tenfold don't care for Cobb. No, it just sucks. So, but that brings us to the end of the chapter, I believe, and the end of the episode. Yeah. So, the end of the chapter, definitely ominous, is um, now is not the time to be brave, you know? It's the time to be careful. Exactly. So, that's what I was saying is like this war that Kavoth has started and he feels guilty for. Like, he definitely is thinking about it. it's on his mind. And we've mentioned multiple times, but we're pretty sure this is like a prequel for another series that's going to focus on, or another book that's going to focus on modern times, like Coat and the current war. So it'll be interesting to see one day how that all plays out, if even Doors of Stone ever comes out. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, that that was our full episode. And we've got, as we've mentioned several times already the bonus fan theory episode coming out also this week just to celebrate one year of the podcast and like how fun it's been and how successful i mean personally successful i think it's been like we've had a lot of of new listeners and like people reach out and even sam was saying someone he knows through work was like i bought a copy of the book and i've been listening to your podcast Um, yeah that definitely made my week that was spectacular and so it's very much appreciated um if you guys ever, you know, reach out to us on uh, any of our social media platforms or have any comments, suggestions, or even things to say or reviews, it just, we love hearing feedback. So anytime you guys feel inclined, we love hearing from you. So yeah, don't ever be shy to reach out. Yeah, it's super exciting to just know that people out there, like, are enjoying the podcast because, yeah. I mean, we <laughs> we put it out into the internet and, like, not sure at first if anyone was going to listen but so far it's been really fun and the first year has been super amazing and i'm so excited that we're just continuing right through with uh the wise man's fear lately yes so we will put this out on a regularly scheduled monday within the next few days there will be a bonus episode so definitely check that out and until then happy reading thanks for listening if you like what you hear check out our website fantasticbookspod.com or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Fantastic Books Pod. Don't forget to follow, rate, and leave a review. Thanks. Thanks.